long spooky legends past, down through generations, to haunted locations that hold a ghostly past. Come one, come all, come blinders and seekers, hear the creepy side of Eva. Welcome to the creepy side of Nipa. I am Dan Kozlowski. Just a quick reminder before we get started. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, or follow the creepy side of Nipa on whichever podcast platform that you listen to us on. Joining us this evening is John Walsh. John was a guest on the creepy side of Nipa about two years ago. He joined us last time talking about a ghost walk that the Schuylkill County Historical Society has been doing. This time, John is talking about another interesting project he has been working on. He has been working on a website dedicated to different creepy stories all across our area, HauntedAnthracitetales.com. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. It's wonderful to be on the show. I'm happy to have you on the show. I know we had you on about, uh, I think it was about two years ago, wasn't it, you are on last? Yeah, time flies, but I think it was about two years, you're right. Yeah, last time you were talking about the ghost tours in Pottsville. Yes, yeah, the uh, haunted history tours right through downtown. And now you're having a different project you were telling me about earlier. Well, I'm, I'm kind of branching out a little bit. And, uh, you know, my main emphasis is still on Schuylkill County. But uh, there's so much rich history, especially dark history, you know, within the coal region. Uh, I just wanted to explore other stories and, and let people know about them to continue the wonderful tradition of storytelling. So what is your your newest project? Is it, it looks like a website all dedicated to ghost stories in the area? Uh, for the most part, yes. It's Haunted Anthracite Tales. And I want to really focus on the Anthracite region because, you know, there's several counties that make up the region, but the history of it is what really intrigued me. And it seems a lot of the stories were brought to the coal region from, from the old countries. You know, you had your... English and your Irish, Italians, Lithuanians, they all came over and they brought these incredible stories and they started seemingly having experiences and some are documented, some are through word of mouth, you know, but uh, the tales are just unbelievable. And it seems like when I go out and I speak to people about these stories, their eyes light up and they really haven't heard them in the past. And I just want to rekindle that tradition, you know, of the coal region of storytelling and and even the ghost stories and the haunted aspect, and even even monsters and superstitions and legends. Sure, because if these stories aren't recorded, they'll get lost over time. Absolutely, yeah, and sadly they are. You know, it when when I first started doing the ghost stories, I actually started with children's programs, and uh, the kids just loved them. They ate them up, and of course they were pretty much G-rated. You know, and I would sure, go out course, and do yep. the programs. Yeah. We, we didn't want to have any nightmares or sleeping with the lights on, you know, no nasty emails, but uh, the kids really enjoyed them. And over the course of about four years, I probably did upwards of 30 programs. And some of the programs that we would do was full auditoriums where families were invited in. And I noticed when I would do these presentations with families, you know, mom, dads, grandparents would be eager to come up to me afterwards and even tell me their, about their own experiences. And uh, it, it's really cool because a taboo subject becomes non-taboo. You know, once you open up that Sure, once that everyone starts talking, people. yep. Absolutely. And uh, just some wonderful, wonderful stories have come about and, you know, some horrifying ones as well. 
So as you were collecting these stories, what are some of your favorite stories you came upon when you were putting together this website? Absolutely. Uh, a lot of them, you know, I started off with newspaper clippings where I would go out and I would look for them because at that time, you know, throughout the 1800s and early 1900s, they would appear in newspapers as valid news stories. And of course, I'm sure they help sell newspapers as well. Oh, yeah, but, of course. Uh, oh, yeah, it was great stuff. But some of the stories that are out there are unbelievable. Uh, one I'm currently working on that I'm going to post pretty soon is there was an individual in Pottsville, and she used to live on the infamous Minersville Street, which is now gone. <laughs> it was actually torn down by the city because it was so infamous for its, uh, let's just say, unsavory actions. You know, uh, At one time, there were actually six brothels within a four-block radius, and it was right in the shadow of the courthouse, which is kind of intriguing, if yeah. you ask me. But, but the story goes that this young lady uh, had an individual she was interested in, and apparently there was some kind of lover's quarrel. And this man and another man actually ended up fighting each other with knives, and one man was stabbed to death. And the question is, what exactly happened to this girl? You know, there's some theories that have come about that, believe it or not, some people believe that the ghost came back and actually killed this young lady because the circumstances she was found by the police when, you know, her lifeless body was found inside outside were very, very peculiar. So out of all the stories that I've seen recently, that one has really caught my attention. It's, it's really an intriguing story. Yeah, I really never heard of a ghost murder before. No, it's, it's some of the details, especially the way they found her body. Uh, I think for the readers, when they actually you know, go into the details and they understand what happened and, and what the police department found. It's very odd. It's it's just very strange the way she was found. That kind of justifies that it may not have been a suicide, but actually a murder. And the events leading up to that occurrence were this young lady would be heard screaming in the middle of the night that the, the man who was killed, his name was Dominic Harrow, he was coming back and he would be tapping on her windowsill. And she would look up and see him. And he was, of course, six feet in the ground by now. But the really peculiar thing was she was on the second floor. So she was about 20, 20 feet up. And she could be here screeching about Dominic being outside her window. So As that isn't something that you're on the ground you could look right into. You're, that's, that's quite a height right there you're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But over time, it was even amplified where this young lady would be heard screaming in her room. And people would come rushing in, and she swore that Dominic was in her room. And she even went as far as, you know, like we all would do, even when we were little kids, or maybe some of us now, when you become very upset and you become scared, you throw the covers over your head. She claimed that Dominic would actually rip the covers off of her. And sure oh, enough, wow. one morning, yeah, one morning she was found uh, outside, you know, in her backyard, dead. And the details surrounding the death were peculiar, to say the least. And that's a story you're working on now? Yes. Yeah, that should be out probably within the next two weeks. Okay. And how often do you post stories on your website, HondaAnthracyteTales.com? Well, I, uh, I try to do it about once every two weeks because I like to take my time. But at the same token, what I would like to do long, long run is take all the stories and do a publication with them. So most of the stories that I put out there for the public first time is just a first draft. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll go through the editing process a little bit just to make it presentable and not sure. embarrass myself, obviously. <laughs> but but in addition to that, when the publication comes out, there's going to be a lot more details within the stories. 
So what areas mostly does your website cover? Is it mostly just the Schuylkill County area, or do you branch out a little bit more? No, I'm actually starting to branch out a lot more. I'm going up towards Hazleton. Uh, I have a really neat story I'd like to put out with Northumberland County. And it's actually a very famous story about the coal region werewolf, believe it or not, where it was believed that a werewolf was actually in our midst. And, you know, people believe that there was evidence to support that claim. It, now, Schuylkill County is my home base, you know, and if there's any area that I have uh, a pretty good understanding and background with, it's definitely this one. But I would like to branch out a little bit. Sure. That's the same way I feel about Scranton, my home base, what I know most of. Absolutely. Yeah. And if there's one location that, you know, I, I consider probably like my baby, the one I really know a lot about, it's the uh, Schuylkill County Prison. I've done tons of research with that, and I'm actually going to have a publication just on that one particular location. Are there a lot of stories you came across over the years just on that building alone? Oh, my goodness. The place is unbelievable. Uh, historically alone, it's it's a marvel for our area. You know, it was erected in 1851. It was actually modeled after Eastern State Penitentiary down in Philadelphia. I always refer to uh, Schuylkill County Prison basically as the baby brother of ESP down in Philly. And uh, I've been in contact with the archivist down at Eastern State, and she's been wonderful. And we've been corresponding back and forth how, you know, the connection between the two locations. Schuylkill County has had many inmates go from our county prison down to Eastern State, and even some very infamous ones. You know, the Bruno family from the Claris murder, they were down there. Uh, a gentleman by the name of William Cavalier, which in my opinion is one of the most intriguing and unknown stories. You know, in our area, he spent time down there as well. So what are some of the more creepier stories you undercovered there at the, the prison building itself? Well, the big thing at the Schuylkill County Prison, you know, very well known for their executions. And within the county itself, we've had 17 executions. 16 have actually taken place in Pottsville, right in the courtyard. Uh, the first one took place in Orricksburg. It was a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Riggs, and Jimmy was executed in 1847. Uh, Jimmy was found guilty of murder because he, to put it bluntly, he basically executed a man on his front steps. His name was Gunder, and he shot him right in the head. And the interesting thing with Jimmy, Jimmy tried to commit suicide several times, was unsuccessful, actually broke out of the prison for a while, and he was able to be corralled back in. But he was sure enough hung outside of uh, the Oregsburg prison, and it was a spectacle to behold. But, you know, there have been many stories with Jimmy and some that are even documented within books that his spirit can be still seen in the location where he was executed in a gown of white trying to ask for forgiveness. Uh, in addition to that, the first one in Pottsville was 1875. It was a, a young man, 18 years old. His name was Joseph Brown. And Joseph was found guilty of double homicide. He killed Mr. and Mrs. Kramer. And uh, Joseph is intriguing because he was so young, he was a friend of the family. But when he was hung, no one collected his body. They just left it for the state. And believe it or not, when he was cut down from the gallows, he was actually buried in the courtyard on prison grounds. So if, say, the family didn't collect the body at the time, was it then the, the courthouse's responsibility to bury it or dispose of it? Uh, it would basically be the counties. Counties, yeah. okay. And for the most part, what they would do is they would take the bodies now, for Brown, that was an exception, being buried on the prison grounds. And there are no records whatsoever to show that the body was exhumed. So 
Joe Brown is still probably buried under that courtyard. <laughs> However, most most of the executions that took place, if no one claimed the body, they would be buried out where Penn State Schuylkill is now. Okay. At that time, it at that time it was the Schuylkill County Almshouse, an insane asylum. Well, I wonder where they picked that location. That's a great question. I mean, up there's a nursing home there now. Up above is the cemetery, and uh, the amount of paranormal activity that's been said to take place in that cemetery in the nursing home. And even down on Penn State is eye-opening to see at least. I could imagine, uh, especially most of those people were probably executed and then taken up there because they weren't claimed. Right, right. And even within the cemetery, many people have claimed to see lights, you know, going throughout the cemetery. I've even heard a couple of reports of full-body apparitions walking throughout. Uh, in, in the nursing home down below, that is renowned for the paranormal activity that's supposed to be taking place. Everything from electrical instruments going completely haywire, the telephones, the doors, you know, they'll open and close on their own to uh, seeing shadow figures. You know, one sh a group of shadow figures affectionately known as the monks have been seen, and it almost looks like they have a cloak on. And it's said that if the monks are seen within a room of a patient there, it's probably showing that individual is going to die within the next couple of weeks, sadly. Uh, in addition to that, down on campus, you know, people have seen the spirit of a little girl running around and within some of the original buildings and also the spirit of a caretaker who's still looking out for Penn State Schuylkill. So it's a very, very active place. Yeah, it definitely seems that way, especially, like you said, if the bodies were taken there, that's that's one of the reasons probably. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. And even when, when the almshouse was there, it was actually filled with controversy as well. Because when you were in an almshouse at that time, it wasn't just people that were widows or very poor. They would even take the insane and they would put them within the same building as those individuals. So they had, you know, many issues where you would have altercations within. And sadly, there were several times where the state came into the insane asylum in the almshouse and they found such terrible conditions of the people that were in there. So there was definitely a lot of mental and physical strain. And I think some of the energy that took place during that time is still present on campus. And that's a Penn State uh, campus right there, you said? Penn State Schuylkill, right in Schuylkill Haven. Yep, it's, in my opinion, within the county, it's one of the most haunted spots, no doubt. I know when we were talking a little bit before, back to the execution, one thing you were telling me that I found very strange is how people gathered around and wanted a piece of the rope. Oh, absolutely. That was the place to be <laughs> when an execution was going down. Uh, the hottest ticket in town. What would happen is the sheriff would issue tickets for people to be able to come into the courtyard and actually watch the spectacle. And there's many descriptions, you know, both in newspapers and even first-time accounts that have been documented in books, where there would be huge crowds outside just waiting to see. In fact, things have, were so crazy, if people weren't able to get inside the courtyard, they would go up to where Nativity is now, the high school, or they would even go Sharp Mountain. It's about a mile away. And there's one documented account where a gentleman had a telescope up on Sharp Mountain just so he could look down and view the spectacle. But if you were one of the lucky ones that were able to get within the courtyard, after the hanging took place and the corpse was actually cut down from the rope, the sheriff would start to cut small increments, maybe about three, four inches, and he would hand them out to the crowd. And it was believed that those little increments of rope had supernatural powers. Everything where it was the luckiest of luck charms that you could have, 
to even putting it on your head if you had a headache and it would take away the pain. Uh, some documentation has even claimed that people who had seizures, epileptic seizures, were cured from this rope. So I, I don't know exactly why. It's a very, very old tradition. It came over from Europe, but uh, certainly carried on in Schuylkill County. And there are still portions of the rope that can be found today. Yeah, I found that very strange when you were telling me that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think people would think that's a good luck charm. It's it's pretty creepy. I agree. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's not something you want to hang up in the family living room per se. But uh, <laughs> I totally agree with that. Know, people people loved it and a very hot commodity. Apparently, during that time, they were couldn't get any more lucky than a piece of the rope. What were some of the other stories that sort of stuck with you as you were doing your research? Well, within the prison itself, I mean, it's best known for the Molly Maguire executions, and of course, you have the day of the rope, June twenty first, eighteen seventy seven. It said that six Mollies went to the gallows that day in Pottsville. And then we, there were four more up in, it was Mock Chunk at that time, but Jim Thorpe. Right, and that's that and, famous story with the handprint in the jail over there. Absolutely. That was t- either Thomas Fisher or Alec Campbell. It's it's kind of controversial right. as to who exactly it was. But, uh, yeah, that's even one that I would like to explore. And that's very well documented where uh, the handprint has said that whoever the gentleman was wore his innocence. And he put his hand down into the, the muck and the grime and he put it up on the wall. And he swore that his handprint would stay in that location to prove his innocence for all eternity. Well, that happened 150, 155 years ago. And I know for sure in the jail, they have tried to paint over the hand. There were even some claims that the plaster was taken right out. Yet that handprint keeps appearing. And, uh, Penn State, I believe, came in and did scientific studies on the handprint, and they said it's naturally occurring. There, It should not be there, but it's there. Yeah, I believe we had the tour guide on the show not too long, well, a couple of years ago when we first started the podcast, and he was right. saying basically you just said they tried rebuilding the wall, I believe. I know they tried yes. repainting over it, and it just keeps coming back. And I'll tell you what, I've been to the jail. It's an incredible place. I'm going to do a little plug for them right now. I know they're having ghost tours throughout October. And, uh, you know, I've, I've toured it several times. And just to go into a jail like that, first of all, with the history, but just to see it itself, sure. you know, yep. the way it was, it was an incredible place. And uh, sad, very sad that the executions were done right within the jail cell. But, you know, even for your listeners, if they get the opportunity to check it out, I highly, highly advise them to do so. It's a great experience. I definitely agree. It's one of those places in this area that's famous. Yeah, definitely. Uh, within Schuylkill County, I mean, we had the Mollies there. And when the gallows were first erected, it was actually set up for the six executions to take place at the same time. You know, the sheriff wanted to pretty much make a spectacle of the situation and show that the Mollies were finally vanquished. And he had it all ready to go. At the last moment, he changed his mind. And the Mollies were actually let out two by two for the executions. Now, the most intriguing one to me it was a Molly by the name of Thomas Duffy. And Duffy was actually one of the last Molly Maguires that were hang- that was hanged that day. And the reason was there were rumors going around that he was going to receive uh, a reprieve for the execution and pardon. And rumors had it that the governor actually sent his secretary with the literature to get him out of the execution, but it, yet it was never presented. And Duffy went to the gallows anyway. Uh you know, there were three more executions with the Molly Maguires, but the most famous one by far is Black Jack Kehoe. He was said to be the leader of the Molly Maguires. 
And that took place in December of 1878. It was about a year and a half after the day of the rope. And when Kehoe came out, he was dressed in a new suit of black and he was holding a candle. And what's interesting is the candle was lit right before he went outside. Before the doors were thrown open, a huge snow squall came through. And reports have it that when Jack Kehoe was going towards the gallows, he was holding this candle and you could see the light of the candle through the snow and the blinding snow. And it did not go out. But once he got up to the base of the gallows, and he took that first step to actually go up where the noose was going to be put around his neck. All of a sudden, the candle just extinguished out of nowhere. And it, it was so symbolic that it was most likely the end. You know, and that's, that's where I had my own personal experience just several years ago. I was doing a tour, and up there, we were in the original location of the courthouse, which is no longer standing. The Mollies were in a different courthouse. But I told this story about Kehoe. And as I said, you know, John Kehoe went toward the podium and just as he took a step up, uh, his candlelight extinguished. And wouldn't you believe it, the security light right above us, literally the second I said that, went out. And I, my <laughs> tour group, my tour group really, they went bananas. You know, they had a great experience and I looked at them and I said, ladies and gentlemen, I have no explanation, but you have quite a story to tell after this evening. Yeah, that's and, something uh, you probably couldn't even plan out if you wanted to. There's no way. There's no way, but it, to say it's it's so incredibly intriguing because when it comes to the Molly Maguires, especially in the coal region, you know, I always joke around and I say there's three things you never want to talk about in a bar when you're sitting down having a couple drinks. You don't want to bring up religion. You don't want to bring up politics. And you certainly don't want to bring up the Molly Maguires because you're probably going to get into a brawl. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with was, that. Yeah, it was it was quite quite a spectacle. But uh, I can't explain it to this day. Yeah, that's it's definitely interesting, especially that the can the story said the candle went out and then that light just went out by itself also. Yeah. And the big thing is within the Schuylkill County Courthouse, uh, it's I could call it a ghost story. In my opinion, it's more along the lines of possibly a legend. But it's said that the spirit of Amali McGuire has been witnessed and seen within the courthouse. And he's affectionately known as Patches. And I've, I've heard two renditions of the story. One rendition has a gentleman who's a little bit smaller in stature, a little heavy, walking around, and he's actually in old miner's garb. The second rendition that I've heard was a gentleman, again, small in stature and a little bit heavy, but he's in a suit of black, and he's walking throughout, and he was one of the Mollies that was executed. And I'm going to be honest, through my research and even speaking with people that have told me the story, the description that they give aligns with Thomas Duffy. You know, they say that he looks like him. So the spirit, if he's there, could be Thomas Duffy walking throughout, just letting people know about the injustice, because he was said to be, out of all the Mollies, the most innocent. Well, yeah, it seems like there's definitely a lot of stories surrounding the Molly Maguires, especially in this area. There are. There are. In fact, uh, not far from there, the wooden cake in St. Clair has some incredible stories. It's said to be to have been a meeting place, supposedly, for the Mollies, uh, right down in center city, uh, Pottsville, where the old Sheridan Hotel used to be. You know, it was um, a location where McKenna came in and he was telling ghost stories and actually came into Pottsville. And I always say it's intriguing because where he began his story with the Molly Maguires was literally two blocks away from where it ended with the gallows later on. 
But ghost story wise, there's tons of them. You know, you have the Wiggins patch that is very well known for murders that took place in the winter of 1875. You know, and that's supposed to be an incredibly haunted location where people have seen full body operations walking throughout the grounds and even caught many EVPs in that area. Uh, the Tamaqua Railroad Station, you know, where the bodies of the Molly Maguires were put on ice overnight, very well known for its paranormal activity. Everything from electrical occurrences to orbs to getting to hearing voices, not just on recorders, but also real time. People have heard things, you know, and shadow figures within. So there are tons of Molly Maguire stories, you know, with the spirits within the area. Now, when you're find, trying to find stories for your website, you notice most people are, are you getting your stories mostly from people submitting them or is this mostly your research? You're coming across them with old newspapers or stuff like that. What, a lot of it was initially done with research where I would go back and I would look through old newspapers and literature. However, I actually started something on my website that I, I entitled Firsthand Frights. And like I said before, the one thing I noticed is once the topic comes out, people want to share their experiences. You know, and over the last couple of weeks, I've had probably in the realm of about 15 entries where people have contacted me and I've, I've gone back with them and they're giving me details. You know, some of the stories are just unbelievable. It goes all the way from uh, an individual who lives in a location in Pottsville that at one time was a funeral home. And since he's moved in, he has had countless experiences, everything from hearing footsteps to door slamming to even people whispering in his ears. And what's really intriguing is with that, he started to do some research and he talked to the prior owners and they had the same experiences as well. So there's certainly something going on there to uh, even poor Carbon. You know, there's a very famous memorial and a woman I was corresponding with, uh, she swore that there was a lady by the name of Agnes Allison. And Agnes Allison was a mother who had four sons that went in the Civil War. And it was almost like a real life Saving Private Ryan where all of her boys were killed. And it said that Agnes Allison, she was so distraught and heartbroken that even memorials were built in Port Carbon. And they're, they're beautiful memorials, I've been there. But the reason I say this, this woman has made the claim that she has lived in that area. And she said that you, uh, sites have been seen of Agnes Allison walking throughout the cemetery where her memorial is. And believe it or not, she's also claimed that people that live up right from the cemetery have had experiences where they have witnessed Agnes Allison, not just in one home, but in several homes on the same block. Oh, you don't hear too many stories like that. I'm sorry, what's that? You don't hear too many stories like that. Usually it's focused on one location. I agree, 100%. And that's why I was so intrigued. And when the woman actually told me this information, she was adamant that it was Agnes Allison because she saw a, uh, a painting of her. And she said for sure that was the woman. So for actually going within several homes, you know, on the same block and down from the cemetery, it's hard to say. Yeah, it's definitely not something you hear every day, that's for sure. No, no, that's for sure. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, I definitely agree with what you were saying before. Once you get people starting to submit stories or starting to talk about it, it seems to just get the ball rolling. Yeah, and it, it was funny because even down in Schuylkill Haven, I was doing a presentation several years ago, and I was speaking about the almshouse. And, uh, you know, where Penn State Schuylkill is now. Right. And like I said, it's very well known for the activity. 
but I was doing the presentation at a middle school. And right in the middle of the presentation, as I was going through the history and the experiences people have claimed to have within there, a woman actually stopped me right in the middle of the presentation. And she looked at me dead eye. Now we're in an auditorium half filled with people. And she said, there's no doubt that place is haunted. I've had experiences there myself. She was a worker at the nursing home and she started telling me about experiences she had. And it was just, you know, it was really a moment because it, it was a comfort that someone felt like they could share that with me, which is, which is not easy to do, but everyone was so intrigued, you know, by the story. And even though it could be a little macabre at times, it's such a wonderful way to teach local history that, you know, people just get sucked right in by it. I totally agree. Cause every ghost story, it seems like has some sort of history behind it, how it all started. Absolutely. I agree with you. Well, John, if any of our listeners are interested in looking into your website and maybe reading a couple of your stories, where could they find it? Well, I'm on www.hauntedanthracitetales.com. I have a Facebook page, and I also have a Facebook page for private members where anyone is welcome to go ahead and put in to join the private membership. And what I do there is I always put my stories out there first for the members, and I also do giveaways. And in addition to that, I actually have a couple events coming up where on October 15th, I'm going to be going to Palo Alto to do presentations, you know, of various ghost stories. And what's great is it's a free presentation for the public. However, any donations that are given are going right to the Recreation Committee for Children's Programs within the borough of Palo Alto. So I think that should be a fun night. So it's going towards then- a good cause. Yep, yep. It's going towards good cows. It's completely free. We're going to have a couple of giveaways, but donation-wise, it's going all towards kids' programs. And, you know, I've been working with the Recreation Committee in Pali and wonderful people. They have hearts of gold. Uh, another one is the Yingling Mansion is actually having a paranormal investigation. Two events taking place in October. One is going to be on October 8th, and the second will be on the tw- uh, October 22nd. And I will be there the morning, well, I guess it was about 2 or 3 o'clock on October 22nd, doing ghost stories and presentations. But that evening, the Schuylkill County Council of the Arts are going to have an actual investigation within the mansion. So pretty cool. Very well known for activity as well. Well, John, I'd like to thank you for joining us again this evening. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Hey, thank you very much, Dan. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. Thank you for joining us on tonight's episode of The Creepy Side of NEPA. If you haven't already, please like WNEP's Creepy Side of NEPA on Facebook. That is the best way to get the latest show information. Until next time, enjoy The Creepy Side of NEPA. This has been The Creepy Side of NEPA. If you have a spooky story that took place in northeastern or central Pennsylvania, send it to ghost at WNEP.com. For your chance to share it on an upcoming episode, we're dying to hear from you. <laughs>